Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. As humans, we tend to put ourselves into boxes. This is because from school age, society tells you what you should do with your life and to simply follow what you're good at. But what if you're passionate about a number of things? Are you restricting yourself by only living in one box? In today's episode, powered by Shopify, we sit down with National Geographic Explorer, documentary photographer, and founder of Litmus Collective, Matthew Cincinnese. After falling in love with both the arts and science, Matthew discovered he could make a business and life combining the two. In this inspiring episode, Matthew shares how he finds balance, what he did to turn a creative passion into a modern business, and why failure is still data. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome, and please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs, and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Matthew. Matthew, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in the creative realm, the creative space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you reaching out. I think that's part of the joy of being a storyteller is this opportunity to use the stories we tell as a method of synthesizing new conversations. So thank you for reaching out. Oh, of course. And I couldn't agree more. So look, Matthew, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Matthew Sikanese. I am a native to Central Florida, and I grew up being this really curious kid looking at the world in my backyard through this different lens on life. Um, I survived meningitis at a year old, and that's kind of my genesis, my origin story, if you will, like um, like Spider-Man. So I survived this sickness at a year old, and it really literally transformed the way I navigate the world. It caused brain damage that caused me to be partially deaf, partially blind, uh, deaf in my right ear completely, and on my left side for vision, if you're on my left side for vision, if you're a predatory animal, then I'll know you're coming up on me, but that's about it. So I found photography at age 14, and that was honestly a missing link for a lot more than just my creativity and my curiosity. It was a missing link for my senses and this kind of human visceral connection to the world that we have through art. And the other day we were having this conversation in Twitter spaces, which I'm really new to, um, I've kind of stepped away from social, but I found these quiet little, po I call them pockets of peace. Um, and they're these little conversations that we can have with one another that are really meaningful and tap into that same kind of what it means to be human. So sorry if that was long winded, but that's kind of how I became Spider-Man, if you will. And photography for me was this escape into understanding how I physically connected with the world better, having that loss of vision and loss of hearing and using creativity as a compass to move through my curiosity has opened so many doors and it almost led me to be a scientist. I got my science degree, my four-year bachelor's and four internships in the sciences. And I said, I love science, but I'm not a scientist. I want to use what I love to synthesize that. And that's when I entered storytelling. So I went on to Duke University, got a master's in fine arts and experimental and documentary arts. And it was a three-year program at the time. So essentially, here's your hunk of clay and a bunch of words you don't know because you're from the sciences, but uh, we're here to make you more human. And by year two, it was them getting me to talk about surviving meningitis and getting me to talk about this journey through creativity through a more human lens instead of this is what you're looking at, like this species doing this function. So that was my biggest takeaway from that degree program and academia, if you will, is learning how to know thyself better through a bunch of different tastings and tastings of practice. So bachelor degree, but then two minors like communication with photojournalism and graphic design, because I knew I could use those other bubbles to connect the dots better in the sciences. And then that research poster got like third place in the whole Southeast region. And I think the visuals were what helped people understand that science better. I'd like to think that. But what are your thoughts? I don't want to oh. just, I, can, I have ADHD oh, and that's part of, um, part of my journey too, is like, uh, how do we, like, I don't wear it like a badge of honor or anything. It's just like, how do we move through that? Like how I move through my curiosity? How can we move through what we go through and transmute that into something meaningful? So from a brand strategy standpoint, a couple of years ago, I decided I got the science degree. I've got the arts degree, but I don't really know how to run, truly run the business. So that's when I started learning about marketing and learning about communication a little deeper and how 
Like I've never done the email list thing other than on the surface. And that's always been kind of lukewarm because I'm very face to face and I'm kind of a shy guy when it comes to social media. So now my challenge is, you know, show up more, which is kind of hard to do at this day and age with the state of the world for many reasons. But I think when we jettison each other through creativity and curiosity, it creates this shield and kind of a protective bubble where we can reignite that spark that for many of us might feel died out. So I think the journey of entrepreneurship isn't a single path. It's not a recipe card people can follow. Uh, Same for processing our art. You know, like people ask me, how do you make your image look exactly like X? And I'd say, here's a path you can go down, but it needs to be your image, not my image. And um, through the workshops and education and other interfacing on the community level that I've had, um, I've developed this nurtured conversation around looking deeper. And now the students I have around the world, whether it's digital or in person, they see their world differently. So they'll go in their backyard and they'll say, I can't see my garden the same way, Matt. They'll email me weeks or months later. And that's when I know I've moved the needle because many of my colleagues are very renowned photographers, you know, cover of certain magazines with the most charismatic animals you can think of. And my stuff is the the living paint on the walls that everybody ignores. It's um, the forest and nobody sees the forest through the trees. So if one workshop can help somebody do that and they're 65 or 17, or if it helps them have a new lens on their own curiosity, then maybe that's the start of something great for their own journey. Oh, love all of this. And there are so many questions that come out of this. I think something that stuck with me was when you mentioned know thyself. And I think that notion is just, I mean, it's the age old question, isn't it? Like, how do we get to know ourselves? How do we actually do what we really want to do or figure out why we're here and what we want to do with our time here? I guess my question to you is, you know, you mentioned that you were in the sciences and you were going down that path, but you always had this love for photography. It helped you in the early days at 14 when you'd gone through what you went through as a child. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about that transition or that mindset shift that you had to have from, hey, I'm going to go and be a scientist and kind of do what perhaps the world's telling me is right to do versus, hey, I'm actually going to go out there and do the thing that sets my soul on fire, which is photography and whatever else followed. Can you talk to us a little bit about your mindset shift during that time, early 20s, mid 20s, and the advice that you'd give to us, you know, those of us who are navigating that right now? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So it's interesting you say early 20s, mid 20s, because I was such a young bird to fly the nest in terms of academics. Um, I would say in terms of that kind of path, no matter what yours looks like, know the thread you want to pull on, generally speaking, at whatever early age that is, or late age, it doesn't matter. Just when you feel that thread, pull on it. Because for me, it was just flipping over rocks, logs, turning them back over when I'm done, just looking in my backyard. That was my my litmus test. 
And that was my curiosity compass, if you will. And if people can just activate that in their own method through the things they like to learn in the way that they like to learn, then something magical can happen. Because for me, that was the method was exploration and the desire was detail in understanding. And that's why I pursued science, I think. And then bringing out the humanity in that science and even the beauty that we can't explain in that science, maybe blending some of the science with art. So it's one picture instead of two conversations. Mm. I love that. You know, I think that is something that we often are afraid to do. You know, we're afraid to really explore and to really look deep at the world around us, whatever it may be, so that we can ultimately look deep within ourselves. You know, after that period of, I think you were still studying, but you became a National Geographic Explorer. Can you talk to us a little bit about that time then and kind of what you learned about yourself, I guess, during that time? Absolutely. I think it'd be interesting to think about this first. Um, so there's that first time that I got to know, and that was equally as empowering data because that data taught me where I could grow, how I could think differently, and how to shift that perspective for my own regard. Um, even though I ended up pitching a different project and complete, it gave me this opportunity to reflect. Um, now, granted, I had to ask for that, and this was six years ago, but, well, seven years ago when I applied the first time. And um, I think it's pretty standard now that they give you some sort of feedback and some guidance so you can return and try again. But um, at the time, it was this opportunity to reflect and grow and try again. So a year later, I attempted again with a different project, a big project, and one that I thought was really kind of stretching the limits of how I practiced my own creative practice. Not looking at industry, not following trends, just through my own lens of life, and the world around me and the stories that needed told because that same year when work was being recognized for environmental photographer of the year, it was a, a lichen species and lichens are a big deal. And now in my 10th year of being fascinated by them, I'm going to release my first art photo book and it's going to be this opportunity to take this organism that's, always in the frame, but never thought about. And it's going to give it this huge conversational platform and hopefully a journey of uh, a lot of other things, because there's a lot of threads I have kind of pulled on that for one reason or another, there've always been hurdles. And I'm realizing that I can connect the dots much easier than before. Now where I'm at as a storyteller and as a strategy consultant, Having been through those fires, I tell people, think about alternate approaches. Think about people that you wouldn't normally think about. Um, I have a colleague, Morgan Heim, Mo Heim. She did this wonderful documentation 
of a big issue in America. And the topic ended up going in a very non-traditional publication. But that route opened up this huge conversation in a community that would have otherwise maybe never have known about that issue. How can we get better at finding those alternate routes? You know, I think so many of us, we have our passions and then we have, quote unquote, our day job or that thing that we think we should pursue. What I think is fascinating about what you've done and so many of the entrepreneurs on the show is being able to meld the two, you know, and find those, quote unquote, alternate routes. But what would be your advice on that? How can we find that? How do we navigate that? I think of creativity and curiosity as this really malleable thing. And it's kind of hard to snap unless you're like me. Nobody's perfect. I'm terrible about sleep. Like if you look at those sleep schedules of like Bach and Beethoven, I'm one of those people. I'm up, down, up, down all night. So, um, but again, it's like you, you let, you let it wash over you. You learn to navigate a healthy balance of it over time. And you recognize those limits, which I've, <laughs> not recognized many times, but it's through those fires and through those failures, through the no, uh, a no is still data. A failure is still data. And that's back to my kind of foundational structure of this, you know, interest in science, but still having that fascination of a child. So now I move through this ebb and flow of empathy and fact and enchantment and fantasy kind of it's like i i still keep truth at the forefront like my thesis for masters was called the evolution of wonder and it talked about this transition you were asking about it's this kind of liminal space and this halocline like when you see salt water and fresh um and it was this understanding that i could take one foot out of a bucket and put it in the other and that was okay and that that was actually encouraged. But then there'd be, you know, every bucket has an edge. And I think learning to tip over the bucket. Sorry, I, I like live in metaphors, everyone. So <laughs> apologies. Like when I started mixing disciplines, when I realized I could take more than one topic or more than one interest, even if it had nothing to do with my studies, with my peer groups or anything I've ever thought about before. I used to have tear sheets of magazines on my wall and um, some of my inspiration, maybe that'll give you guys some hints, like um, Anna Wintour, Carl Lagerfeld, like you look at some of the biggest fashion icons and they understand their perspective on the world. And maybe they don't, maybe that perspective changes and the reset button hits every day, but the core stays the same. And I think for me, that core is curiosity. And now I think through my macro lens and I think about Haute Couture and I think about the museum exhibit coming up next February in Georgia, Southeast US. And I think, how can I combine something like Haute Couture and the museum exhibit and VR and NFTs and then a cause and connect all those dots in a really focused, meaningful way? And I put emphasis on focus because I'm sometimes self-labeled as moonshot Matt and being, you know, somebody with so many interests is so much fun, but it's also a double-edged sword that should be respected for each of our own journeys in life. 
So well put, and I couldn't agree more. I want to dive a bit deeper into, you know, you mentioned business, into the business journey, you know, so obviously you've melded both of your passions, passion for science and then also the arts and photography. But at what point did you bring in that business lens? You know, you also mentioned branding and and whatnot that you do now and kind of, you know, where did the idea for your business come about, which is obviously um, your photography and also your coaching and, and community business. Talk to us a little bit about where that idea came about and what were those first few steps that you took to really turn your creative passions into a business? Yeah, absolutely. So the beginning of my creative passion shifting into my business started when I was attending conferences as an undergraduate science student. So I was getting my science degree. I was attending these research conferences a couple times a year. And then I was also starting to attend photography conferences. So I was at a photography conference and then a science conference, photography, science, photography, science. And between those different places, I would apply for just little scholarships. Like here's 500 bucks to get you to the event, but we can't like, can't house you or anything kind of thing. So it was creating small opportunities to stack into bigger ones. And it was meeting a lot of people and like learning that I was meeting too many people and learning that it's never too yeah, well yeah no i just it's like <laughs> you know you're at least in american university it's so like get out there and meet everybody and it's like it's so exhausting so now it's just looking back it's this opportunity to just be fully yourself at whatever level you need to be and and then you'll find the right people so i don't know why that took me so long to realize but over those years of going to those conferences, I handed out a bunch of little, you know, business cards to like the equivalent of an Adobe portfolio site today. So just something really basic that would show this is who I am because I was taking photojournalism or I was just taking pictures for fun. I'd go to the bands at the college and stuff. I started out in sports photography way back in the day. And that was just to kind of get my feet wet one summer. So, um, it's funny, nobody really knows that. So I want to make it like a trivia thing someday. I'm not going to say the sport, yeah. but it's... um, You won't give that one away. It's just more tasting, Never. right? So like, it's all back to this <laughs> idea of try, try, try. And like, it's not going to be perfect. And it's this tried and tested. And it's, you know, you you learn, you try, you adapt and evolve, and then you reflect and then you repeat. And... I think through this mindfulness and meditative loop of curiosity and failure and creativity, um, the who we are for ourselves starts bubbling up. So for me, that was elements of art, uh, color and pattern and shape and form and line just jumping out of the page. I wanted people to feel like they could pick up those pink orbs in that image singularity it's my favorite image that i've created and it's these pink snail eggs they look like frosted mochi ice cream but it's a non-native species to florida and it's a snail that snuffs out the native population so it creates this conversation of well what is that and 
that could be very clearly put if it was ending up in a science textbook or maybe it's not maybe it's not labeled at all if it's in a virtual nft gallery and something comes to life when you touch the virtual image so i'm trying to think how can we how can we think on the edge of the universe for how we create based on the tech we have available that's already optimized because I've done a bunch of experimental tech and it's, it's not worth the hassle. Like if barely anybody's tried it, unless you're working with an expert in that case, go for it because all these years later, I've realized collaboration's key. I've always known that, but it's finding balance in that. And that balance, like in those other areas is what led me to business strategy because I saw an imbalance in how I was using creativity to drive my progress, but that creativity was stinting the career part. It was stinting my ability to activate the um, the data behind that career, the, the science behind that career, because the forward-facing visuals and experience and empathy were all there. I was showing up, but I needed to show up a little differently. So I started at the end of my master's was when I got into that photography conference with that scholarship, started meeting some bigger names in the editorial industry and started thinking about branding. So I looked at my website through the lens of photojournalism at the time, having what I learned from the book that's behind me on the shelf on the major categories that those editors were looking for. I learned how those editors thought the voice and the tone that they used in their language, because I had this experience as a public speaker. I ended up a commencement speaker for my graduating class of 2000 in the winter. And in winter of 2012, it was 2000 people in the stadium. Uh, <laughs> in winter of 2012, there were like 2000 people and I was the commencement speaker at my graduation. So it's funny because I applied for that not wanting kind of your template person to be up there spouting fallacies. And it was really a humbling opportunity to have just a couple of minutes to express being curious and being human and mixing these practices. So through public speaking leading up to that point, it was a bunch of science talks in classrooms and conferences. It was a bunch of club involvement, stretching myself way too thin and coming out of that with a seven page resume, but or seven page CV ready to lean into a PhD for science. But that's just it. I was ready to lean into a PhD for science. And I wanted to lean into life for me. So it was at that juncture that I knew the the creative tip was um it was part of my fabric it wasn't a decision it was a critical need so um just as the branding became a critical need after the academics so i exited my masters and realized oh boy you're an open ocean now so you not only need at the time instagram was generally new you not only need a social voice but you need a way to keep in touch besides landing in their email inbox, because my mentor was getting 800 emails a day. So he'd say, Matt, write your subject in all caps so I can see it. 
this was for my thesis. I'm like, Luke, you have to get my thesis. <laughs> no, it all worked out. He's like, if all those, got to get this done. Yeah, he's like, yeah. if all those pills, just call me. He wasn't gonna leave me high in general. Yeah. So yeah, it was, um, you know, experiences like that that taught me having a system in place is important, and science taught me that too. Having that checks and balances is important. So letting our curiosity run wild is great, but having those parameters to that will guide the ship forward. It, it'll put wind in the sails and you have to put the right sails down to get that forward motion. So um, after the master's in fine arts, it was this uh, square one in branding, maybe not square one, maybe like square five. And, uh, you know, five years of bumpy road, uh, internships I created for myself and my partner and I out in the field roughing it and realizing we don't want to be X. We don't want to be Y. We don't want to be Z. None of these people like what they do to whatever extent. And they've been here 10 years and haven't moved a muscle in terms of where they want to grow. So, um, so again, data in the, in the, uh, data in the shifted outcomes. I don't like calling them failures always because those were okay. Those were okay. I love that. I think so many of us, and this kind of leads to one of the key questions I wanted to ask you as we start to wrap up and come to the end of today's interview, but around failure, you know, I think so many of us can become, we, we don't like the word, we want to detach ourselves from it, we, you know, it's a full thing. But, you know, for you, What's your definition of failure and what has been your greatest failure and win to date? So my greatest failure, again, I think it's just a shift in perspective, but my greatest, my greatest pivot, my tipping point was accepting that the fires I had been through, whether it was my disabilities or the bridges burned either direction or otherwise, that everything leading up to that moment could give me the opportunity to think about it through a new perspective if I learned to pause. And for somebody who thinks a mile a minute, that's my biggest challenge. So learning to pause and filter my focus and um, find these pockets of peace, like what I like to call them, as I think about how the Litmus Collective is going to grow as this hub for storytellers and curators and community members as this synthesis point where they can talk to the right people with the least amount of chess moves and make some really cool stuff happen. My hope is that they can do that with the ease of access and the, I say that through a learning lens, you know, it's back to that, how we learn. And for me, my biggest win has been moving through my disabilities as someone with deafness and blindness and as a young kid with some speech stuff and long-term got some other stuff. But for each of us, whatever it is, we have to move through those with, I don't know, it's like this daily reset, you know, it's this daily reset button. I love it. Oh, Matt, you know, over the last four, five years in business, but then 15 years on this journey. You know, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work, both I'm now understanding internally and also obviously externally. Most recently you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. 
What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Absolutely. So three key pieces of advice I would give to any listener out there would be pause long enough to have the perspective you want to present to the world. Because pausing long enough to gain that perspective has been my biggest challenge. And taking that pause brings a lot more clarity and things that you wouldn't have thought of before. It also lets you write a shorter letter. So pause for perspective. Ask more questions. That's number two. You always have to be asking more questions. And if you're doing it through the childlike curiosity of what it's like to go out in your garden and poke around, then you're doing it the right way. Whether it's with the ones and zeros or, you know, fully hands-on and getting messy, figure out how you move through the spaces you move through with that creative lens or whatever lens of passion that is. If it's mathematics, that's great. If it's science or physics, that's great. Um, It doesn't always have to be creativity. And I think that's an interesting thought for another time. The what is art that we mentioned earlier. Now people are starting to say, well, what makes art an experience versus, you know, if you're an engineer on a manufacturing line, you might not think that grid you just welded is art, but someone can see it from a distance and say, that design's beautiful. So it's unearthed these really curious conversations through that pensiveness, because I've seen in these digital spaces that they either flop horribly um, because people are still learning the balance of essentially phone group phone chats again. (laughs) And um, the other side of that spectrum is these small quiet rooms that have really deep dialogue and people leaving enough breathing space in between thought to unearth some more of that magic, if you will. So I think the first was that, you know, pensiveness and the seconds, the, were we on the second or third? I need more sleep. The third, get more sleep. <laughs> God, Eric could kill me if I didn't say that. <laughs> um, no, be good to yourself. That's whatever number we're on. This is, I mean, seriously, perfect example. I'm on four hours of sleep today, everybody. But um, that creative passion drives what I do. And uh, that's an important balance. Balance is key. And part of that is nutrition, whatever that looks like for you and quality of life and all that stuff. So balance. Balance. So, so valuable. I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Matt, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us that no matter what we've been through, what we have, what, you know, if we're part of a minority group, whatever it may be, you know, we can actually go out there, mix our passions, turn it into a viable business and career path. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be here and discuss some of these ideas. And I look forward to maybe discussing some more. I love that. We've loved having you. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? 
for the longest time, I was a typer. I learned to type when I was in elementary school because I could type quicker than I could write. But what I've valued the most over this past year has been learning to condense thought onto paper. And now I can listen to conversation like what we're having now. And I can write down three words for every two sentences and recall our entire conversation. And through that recall, I have that clarity. So what I value the most is this ability to learn how to understand and communicate better. And that's greatly impacted my clarity through my own path and the path of my business, because now I can help people better. Oh, yes, Matt, thank you so much. We have had an absolute blast having you here with us. Where can we learn more about you and your business and the Litmus community and group? How can we get involved? Absolutely. So to learn more about me with the name that I've got, <laughs> I'm uh, passing this one on to Litmus. So it's litmuscollective.com, litmus, L-I-T-M-U-S, collective.com. So that is the bigger than me thing. And that is what I'm excited to pour my energy and creativity and personal achievements through because now I can focus on going from a me to a we. And that's something that I tried to do in other formats in the past. And I still interface with some of those touch points, but now I can do it at rocket speed because it's our own kingdom and we've got nowhere to go but up. So come on in. Oh. We love that. We will link that up in the show notes. Matt, thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.